everyone. My name is Josh Scroggins. I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy New Year. I have never been more excited for the coming year than I am about this one. And I know I say I'm excited a lot because I get excited a lot. But let me explain. Everything that we have been doing has been leading us to this time. Every January, our church reveals a theme for the coming year. And in most cases, I also have issued a challenge. And uh, after our service on Sunday, I I revealed our theme, our banner, our challenge. Uh, The theme for this coming year is fresh power. I'm going to just say it up front now. I couldn't do that on Sunday, but I've already revealed the banner now. So um, it is fresh power. That is our theme for the year. I want to explain a little bit about that. And in this episode, uh, I want to share with you some thoughts that are going to lead us into this coming year. We're going to talk a lot about this subject. Uh, before I do, let me let me just um, back it up for a minute and and um, say that that Chelsea and I, one of the things we like to do is we like to watch a television show called Fixer Upper. And uh, for those of you who don't know what the show is, uh, basically the hosts meet with people who want to buy a new house. Right, but they want to get one that's cheaper and have it renovated. So typically what they they shoot for their goal is they say we want to buy the worst house in the best neighborhood. And that's their that's their secret sauce. That's their formula. The worst house in the best neighborhood. And some of these houses are are atrocious. They are they're crazy. Um they have things that are wrong with them that, you know, you, you they don't even find out about until they're halfway through the renovation. Well, um, when they're done, what's cool is that no matter how bad they start off, by the time they're done fixing it up, man, they end up being dream houses. And one of my favorite parts of the TV show is at the end where they show this before and after. And man, the transformation taking place before my eyes is always such an incredible thing. It's it's easy in the process of watching the show to just forget what the house looked like before all the work was done. And if that's true for us after 30 minutes of watching the show, imagine how much more difficult it must be to remember the starting project from months earlier. I mean, imagine for people that have been working on these houses for months and months, how difficult it must be for them to remember exactly what it looked like before they started. Well, but the thing is, the before and after comparisons have been around forever, man. They uh, weight loss companies have used them for years. Skincare companies have used them for years. I I know there is an ad that uh, I often see pop up on Facebook, and it's these little skincare uh, products, and they'll show the before and after, right? And so they'll show a person's skin, or they'll show a, a face. It's always a woman's face. Um, probably for good reason, for the reason I'm about to tell you now, is that they'll show the before and after, and half the time I look at them and think, I don't see the difference. I, I don't understand why there's a before and after. I, I don't get it. Uh, and then women will be looking at that and saying, man, that's amazing, and I don't I don't see it. I don't get it. But that's probably why they uh, they 
you know, have women's faces on there because men don't get it. We don't, we don't, we don't get it. It's got to be a pretty drastic change. But when you look at weight loss, for instance, weight loss companies have been using them for years, right? The before and after it's powerful. Um, a matter of fact, one of the things that's that's fun to do is uh, you can go in and look at presidential before and after pictures um, before they went into office and after they came out of office. And especially if you look at uh, George W. Bush, if you look at Bill Clinton, if you look at Barack Obama, those three in particular, uh, when I looked at the before and afters, uh, Ronald Reagan was another one that by the time they get done with their term as president, and they just look like they have aged so much more than eight years. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> well, the reason is because there was a lot of stress. There's a lot of things involved in that. And you know something incredible had to happen between the before and the after photos to get that drastic of a change. And I want to show you in the next little while some powerful examples of before and after that are going to lead us into the theme that we have for this year. And as we, uh, as we move on throughout this year, you're going to see that the episodes themselves are going to follow this theme of fresh power. Uh, I want to paint the scene of the before first. So uh, Jesus had just been arrested. He's being brought before Caiaphas, the high priest. And it was at this moment that the disciples realized if they had come for Jesus, the Jews might be coming for them next. Right? And this is the fear that leads us to this point. It's found in Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. It says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up to him and said to Peter, certainly you are one of them. Your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. After this point, Jesus is sentenced. He is executed. He's hung on the cross. He's, he's killed. They, they bury him. And then three days later, he rises from the dead and he goes back to his disciples. Now I want to look for a moment at where it is that he found them when he returned. So John chapter 20, verses 19 to 20, and it says, now when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were together due to fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. This is the before image. Now, what was, what was that? Jesus shows up to his disciples, and where did he find them? It says that the doors were shut where the disciples were together for fear of the Jews. They were hiding. They were hiding in a house with the doors shut, probably locked, due to fear of the Jews. This is the before image we're going to come back to later, but I don't want to move on just yet. I want to stop for just a moment and really appreciate what we just read. Peter 
who had earlier stated that Jesus was the Christ. You remember that phrase that 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 um, you are the Christ that he said that that uh, that that passage where Jesus says, "Who is it that men say that I am?" And they said all kinds of things. And he says, "Well, then who do you say that I am?" And Peter says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Right? Peter himself had stated that Jesus was the Christ, and now he had denied Jesus three times, even cursing the last time, right? Beginning to swear, invoking a curse. The disciples, they weren't out trying to preach the things that Jesus had taught them. They were locked inside a house hiding. Why would they do this? Well, it's because they had given into fear. Peter was afraid of being associated with Jesus in a crowd that might turn on him for it. The disciples were hiding, according to the Bible, for fear of the Jews. According to to Matthew, or sorry, according to John, it was for fear of the Jews. So I'm not having to read into this. I'm not using my imagination. I'm not, you know, giving some deep interpretation of why they were hiding. The Bible says very clearly it was for fear of the Jews. Their fear of men was greater than their faith. And I think that's rather obvious, right? It's plainly stated. But the bigger question is this. How is it possible? How could their fear be greater than their faith after seeing Jesus do all the things they had seen him do? I mean, Jesus had healed the sick. He'd raised the dead. He calmed a storm, right? He, he just spoke. He said, peace be still. And waves of the, the, the water calmed down. The winds that were just stopped. He spoke and he controlled nature and they saw it. He had come to them walking on the water. He had cast out demons, right? And, and not just that he cast out demons. These demons knew who he was. I mean, imagine how powerful of a statement that is that you see a demon possessed person. And as soon as Jesus comes up, the demons speak out and say, we know who you are. Stay away from us. After seeing all of that, how could they possibly react with so much fear? Well, I would simply submit to you that it was because this was the before and the after hadn't happened yet. And I, I know it's really easy to say, well, no, this was the after. This was after Jesus had died. And, and uh, you know, th- that that's the, the after part of it. The before was when they had faith and the after was when they they didn't and when they were fearful. And, and I could see where a person would believe that and I could see. But, but here's the thing. This is the lie of the enemy. It is, it is the lie that we tell ourselves all the time is that the situation we are in is the after. See, the after is the finishing point. And I would say this, the after is only the after if the story's over. The before and after, your before and after are not what you think they are. You might be in a situation right now and thinking that, that this is this is it. But it's not. It's not. It's in every before and after, there's a question that we must get an answer to. What happened to make the change that we see when comparing the before and the after? What was it that caused the before to become the after? And and, and this is what I was just talking about. For many of you that are, are listening right now, you are in a place of your before. Now, you might look at it and say, well, no, this is my after. I used to be this, and now I'm stuck in this place. No, 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 no. Let me, let me correct this line of thinking. You're in your before. 
And I'm telling you right now that this coming year will be the thing that changes your before into your after. There are many people who are at our church service on Sunday. There will be many listening online today. And this is a word for you that some of you right now are beaten down and broken. Some of you are addicted and bound up. Some of you are depressed. Some of you are doing good, but you've been feeling for a while like there was something more that you're missing, like there was still some power you haven't tapped into yet. Some of you are weighed down just like these disciples were. Your fear is suffocating you. And some of you right now are even walking the line between faith and doubt. But friend, God wanted me to tell you that you are living in your before and he is about to do something this year that will change everything. A year from now, you're going to look back at this time and you will be looking at your before and after with amazement. This year is going to be transformational for some of you. You're going to experience the same thing that these disciples experienced, and you will not be the same person that you are now. Now, we've looked at there before. So now, let's look at the after. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 47. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to come back to that. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away. As the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Now, this is Peter, right? This is Peter. This is the guy who had, who had been so terrified of a little servant girl that he had denied Jesus. And now Peter is preaching to them. Who is them? Well, them is the largest crowd that that city would ever see. During the time of Pentecost, people traveled from all over the known world to come to this one location. And he was standing up in the middle of thousands, many, many thousands of people hearing this message. So this is now the after, right? The before is him denying Jesus, but this is the after. What about the other disciples? What about the ones who were hiding in that, in that room? Well, let's keep reading because here's what it says next. They, speaking of the new converts, the people who had just been saved, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. Oh, now there's more than just Peter. Now the other apostles are there teaching them and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. Okay, again, this is not just Peter now. Right. This is now talking about the others. They're all involved in this. It, Peter might have been the one who gave that sermon that day, but it, it sure appears here that it was not just him involved in growing the church in the city. Now, all the believers were together. They all had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions. They would share them with them all to the extent that anyone who had uh, that had need taken care of and and day by day continuing with one mind in the temple breaking bread from house to house they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising god having favor with all the people and the lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved 
This is an incredible thing. What was it that made the difference, right? I mean, again, when you look at a before and after, if all you see is a before and an after image, you have to wonder what took place between them. What was it that made the difference? What was it that turned the before into the after? What was it that took these disciples from a place of fear and cowering and denying to a place where they were Jesus witnesses throughout the known world? What was it? Well, I'll give you one word, power. Acts 1.8 says this, you will receive power. This is Jesus speaking. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that made the difference. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that came with so much boldness that the same people who had been hiding from others were now in the middle of the streets on the busiest day of the year preaching Jesus as God. Something happened. They were filled with fresh power that they had not experienced before. And that power was so strong that it took all of their fears and put them in the back seat. It's not that they didn't have fears. I'm sure they did. It's just that the fears were not nearly as strong as their courage. The fears were not nearly as strong as their faith. The fears were not nearly as strong as the power that they had been filled with. See, shortly after Jesus had told them about the Holy Spirit coming upon them, these disciples were filled with power. And in the next several weeks, we're going to be exploring this in depth. But in this episode, I just want to share with you a few basics about what Jesus called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so number one, it's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. You cannot earn the Holy Spirit baptism. Okay, you can't earn it, which means that there's not a checklist. You can't go through and say, okay, well, if you do this, 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 and this, if you're good enough with this, if you do enough of this, then you can get, that's not, if, if that's the case, if you could earn it through a checklist, it's not a gift. It's a wage, right? The, the Bible talks about the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life, right? The difference between a wage and a sin is you earn one and you can't earn the other. Okay. You cannot earn a gift. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it calls this a gift. Acts eleven fourteen to 17, it says, he will speak words to you by which you've been saved and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he's also given us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I who could stand in God's way? Number two, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as spiritual baptism, right? Also called baptism into Christ. It's also not the same as water baptism. There's a few different baptisms throughout the Bible. Um, there are three that a Christian needs to be aware of and needs to, to to understand. Okay, the first one is called spiritual baptism. Okay, Jesus basically describes being born again. That's what this is. It is, it is being born of uh, the spirit, just as a person is born of water 
in the flesh, right? So when, when a baby is born, there's water that breaks, right? So when, when you're naturally born, you're born of water. Spirit baptism deals with being born again. It's called being baptized into Christ. It's taking on um, the personhood of Christ. It is being uh, uh, covered in the blood um, of, of Christ. It is it is this uh, symbolic thing in, in that terms. Obviously, we're not real blood, but um, spiritually speaking, we take on his sacrifice and we cover ourselves with it. He takes that. And, 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 and so that is called baptism into Christ, right? It is spiritual baptism. Um, and, and there's a number of ways that the Bible describes this, but it's a description of salvation. Um, baptism in the Holy Spirit is another experience entirely. Um, water baptism is simply an outward sign that we do as a means of testimony, right? So there's nothing that saves us with water baptism. As a matter of fact, it, it very simply is symbolic. Essentially, the baptism that we do by water is simply saying this. It's saying that I have... Uh, repented of my sins. I have been, um, baptism basically represents the death of the old person, right? When you go under the water, it represents burying the old person. When you come out, it represents being born again, right? And so this, this symbolism that is, is, is being done, uh, baptism is essentially an outward testimony to say that the old person, that that was a sinner has died and I have been born again in Christ. That's what the symbolism of water baptism is. But again, Holy Spirit baptism is something else entirely. Of those three, you only need one to get to heaven. Okay, of those three, only baptism into Christ, spiritual baptism. That that's where where Peter says, you know, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Right. This is this is spiritual baptism here. Um, we are 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 baptized into Christ. There's a spiritual baptism that takes place that deals with salvation. The water baptism is symbolic of that. The Holy Spirit baptism is, again, it's something entirely different. And it's for an entirely different purpose. We'll talk about that in a minute. Number three, Holy Spirit baptism happens after salvation and after repentance. There's only one exception to this in the Bible, and that's John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while in the womb. Um, he is the only exception to this. He, he will only ever be the exception. And it was only because he was prophesied specifically for that to happen. But aside from him, every instance that we see someone filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit, they're saved first and they had expressed repentance, right? And again, Acts 2.38, Peter began with that whole thing. Repent, right? Each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's in that order, okay? A person must repent. We must spiritually be baptized into Christ before the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. Here's something else to understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that there are signs that follow it. So when a person has had this experience, you'll know, right? There will be evidence, now, the most taught about sign is speaking in tongues, right? That we talk about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talk about evidence. The, the most common evidence is speaking in tongues. And it's often called the first evidence. Um, I have a little bit of, I have a little bit of difficulty with the word the, when it's uh, the first evidence. I, I believe more that it's a first evidence. It's uh, an initial evidence. But here's, here's why. Um, 
there are six recorded instances in the books of book of Acts uh, where a person is filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. Um, there are six instances of that. Okay, you're going to find them in Acts chapter two, Acts four, Acts eight, nine, ten, and nineteen. Okay, those are the six instances in the book of Acts where a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. And of those six instances, only half mention tongues. And it could be argued even that in the Acts chapter 2, that the tongues there is not the initial evidence of tongues that many think about. Because in Acts chapter 2, the tongues that were being spoken were actually other earthly languages. They were not, you know, uttering mysteries. They weren't speaking the tongues of angels or anything like that, which is other descriptions of, of, of that prayer language. In Acts 2, that's not even the type of tongues that they were speaking. They were actually speaking other earthly languages. Um, but in Acts chapter 4, we see a, a church praying for power, praying for boldness. The Holy Spirit comes. He fills the believers. The entire house is shaken, right? There's a physical thing that happens. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they went out and they began to preach with boldness. So that is um, that is one example where where tongues just aren't mentioned. But here's another one. When the Apostle Paul was filled with the Spirit, uh, when he was saved, he was filled with the Spirit, right? That that began um, that began his his experience with the Holy Spirit, but tongues are not mentioned. Uh, now, at some point, he did, in fact, speak in tongues. He says so himself, but he doesn't say when that happened. He doesn't say that that was the, the very first thing that happened. The Bible just doesn't, it doesn't say that. Um, the the other example is is a, a time where there is a group of, of uh, people being prayed for in Acts chapter 9 um, that are simply filled with the Spirit, but again, tongues are not mentioned. Um, you could probably imply or infer that maybe tongues were happening. Um, it, it could probably be inferred there. Uh, and I'm, I apologize, Acts chapter 8, uh, chapter 9 is, is the conversion of Paul. But in, in Acts chapter 8, you could probably infer this, that people are being filled with the Spirit because somebody watching it can tell what's happening. But it could also be they're being slain in the Spirit. It could be that they um, all of a sudden are giving up addictions. It could be that maybe they're turning around and praying for someone else and there's miracles happening. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It just does not mention tongues. It mentions that they're filled with the Spirit, but there's no tongues present there. So of the six instances recorded in the book of Acts, only three of them mention tongues, and at least one of those three, the type of tongues it's mentioning is not what we would think of as the initial evidence. So, so, so my point is this. There are signs that follow the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The most common is tongues, but there are other signs that are, are mentioned in the Bible. Okay, so let me give you a few. One of them is boldness. Right, we see this in Acts chapter four. That was the sign that followed. People who were previously afraid began to preach with boldness. And by the way, that is exactly what we just read about with the disciples. Remember, Peter was afraid and he was hiding. Right, he was denying Christ. The disciples were afraid and they were hiding, locked in a room. And suddenly, when the power of God came upon them, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they had an incredible boldness, right? Acts chapter four is the same thing. And also, by the way, with Paul, when Paul was filled with the spirit, the Bible doesn't mention tongues, but it does say that he began to go out and preach the, the gospel. So that's, that's one sign. Another sign is change. 
right? There are people who, uh, their, their lives change, their, their desires change. Um, there is something noticeable. It, it is a very noticeable change that happens within a person. Um, another thing I would say is look at spiritual gifts. The Bible mentions a long list of spiritual gifts that come from the Holy Spirit, right? Tongues is one in that list. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of gifts of the Spirit. And then also miracles, right? I, I, I spoke to one pastor a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago um, about this, and he actually stated that when he had an experience where he was baptized in the Spirit, and he says, I, I know for a fact that I was, I didn't speak in tongues at that moment because I just, I, I hadn't yielded myself to that. I hadn't, um, you know, I, I hadn't felt comfortable enough to really just kind of let that come. Um, but he said, but I did notice a change. I noticed an incredible boldness where I would uh, approach people and tell them about Jesus in a way I, I didn't before. He said, I noticed that I had power in my prayer that wasn't there before. He said, I, I would pray for people and I saw miracles. I saw people healed right in front of my eyes. And before that hadn't been a possibility. I had prayed for people and hadn't seen it. And at, at some point later, he actually did in fact end up speaking in tongues as a prayer language, but this was not something that was uh, uh, right up front. There were other signs first. The point is this, that when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, there are signs that follow. Okay. So um, that's that's the main thing that I, I want you to know. There are signs that follow it. You, you, you will have to worry about, well, did it really happen or did it not? Look for the signs. Do you see a noticeable change that happened from that moment forward, right? Do you have an incredible uh, boldness that you didn't have before? Did you have a spiritual gift, right? Maybe tongues was one of them. Um, was there something like that that happened? Signs follow it, okay? So it's a gift. You can't earn it. It's not the same as baptism into Christ or water baptism. It happens after salvation and after repentance, and there are signs that follow it. And then finally, baptism of the Holy Spirit is for the purpose of power, and that power has a purpose. So what does the purpose look like? Well, Jesus told them that instead of him, right, instead of him using his power to establish his kingdom, they were about to receive power to establish the kingdom of God instead, right? Here's what he said again. I'll read it again. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my eyewitnesses, or sorry, my witnesses, not eyewitnesses. You'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. The word power in the original language is dunamis. And dunamis is the same word that we get a few words in English from, right? One of them is dynamic. One of them is dynamo. One of them also is dynamite, right? It's, it's describing more than just authority. It describes power that affects things and causes change. I mean, if, for instance, if I were to take a stick of dynamite, light it and throw it in your living room and you ran as fast as you could to get out of there, when that thing went off, would you agree that your living room would be changed? <laughs> if you decided not to leave the room, would you also agree that you would be changed? That's power, right? The power to change things, to affect things. So what does the statement mean to us when Jesus said it? 
Well, to me, it simply means this. The Holy Spirit gave us the ability to affect change around us. When the Holy Spirit came, the people in the upper room were suddenly imbued with the power they had never experienced before. Peter was able to speak and have people with many different languages all understand him at once. 3,000 people were saved during that first sermon. You talk about affecting change. People's bodies were changed as they're miraculously healed. In fact, the Bible describes that the power of the Holy Spirit was on these disciples so strongly that as they walked down the street and their shadow touched people who were sick, they were healed. People's destinations were changed from hell to heaven. Families were changed. Lives were restored. The kingdom of God was established and has grown all from the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus died, the disciples had run away in fear. Peter had denied him three times, but that was the before. After the Holy Spirit came, those same people were willing to die for the gospel. They had been imbued with power and boldness that was stronger than their fears, and it had affected change in them. Now, you remember the before I talked about earlier? Your bondage, your fear, your addiction, your struggle, your weakness, your doubt. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with fresh power, and that power changes everything. You may have struggles with those things, but that struggle will now be weak compared to the power of the Holy Spirit in you. See, this verse, that you will receive power, means that no matter what you see in front of you, you have been given the power to affect change in it. Like taking dynamite to a roadblock, you have the power inside of you to blast through any obstacle the enemy puts in your way. When you're feeling depressed, you have the power to overcome it. When you have feelings of hopelessness about the situation you're in, you have the power to speak change into that situation. When you're sick, you have the power to pray and overcome it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and the Holy Spirit is the way that Christ gives you the power to do those things. And whether that means spontaneously preaching a sermon on a Sunday when the preacher doesn't show up like I've had to do, whether that means finding peace and joy in the darkest of situations or simply knowing what to say to a hurting friend in their moment of need, the Holy Spirit will cause change through you. And that change is for the purpose of establishing and growing the kingdom of God. Look at it this way. The very same kingdom that the Jews were asking Jesus about 2,000 years ago can be alive in us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is why it is so important that we understand what this power is and understand that it is a gift and understand that we can seek it. And we should. Because we need it. One look around the world that we live in right now, it should be obvious that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is available. It is ready. And we're going to talk in the next several weeks a lot more in depth about this. But for now, can I ask you one thing? Can you take some time this week and just spend alone with God with no distractions? Can you take some time this week and just sit and wait and think and pray and listen to God and ask him for that gift of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't received that yet, just ask him. 
Watch what he does. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.